Harlem back for Norwich City. A Friday night win. Suddenly the table looks uh, a little bit better. It's a funny old season, this. Uh, welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, brought to you by Coleman's of Norwich, who I, I, had, a, I had a tweet earlier in this week because we've spoken a lot about the various condiments they do. They also do um, packets, you know, like chili con carne flavouring packets. I use um, them. Do you? I use them at home. They're really, really good, actually. Yeah. So That's the most excited I've ever seen you. There we go. <laughs> I've also seen someone in the comment section mention seafood sauce on about the last four yeah. podcasts we've mentioned uh, cold you have that one, seafood I guess prawns that kind of vibe I think yeah, yeah. don't really like prawns anyway uh, this is Winger.com Norwich City podcast brought to you by Coleman's of Norwich I'm Connor Southwell joined by Samuel Seaman Paddy Davitt Adam Harvey we have uh, just made the Longish, I guess it's quite a short one by our standards, really. Um, trip back from Humberside, and uh, we are in a new location, which I can appreciate. It's a lot more exciting going that way than it is what you're looking at. But this is uh, Redwell Brewery in Norwich, uh, and I'm sure one of the lads will hold one of the glasses up at some point, and you'll be able to see the the branding. So thank you to them for letting us film in here this afternoon to reflect on a very good night for Norwich City. Um, Paddy, uh, it's. I just, just keep going. It's a weird season, this, isn't it? Because it's, um, it, it feels like Norwich shouldn't be where they are in the table. But and, and we're speaking before the round of Saturday games have been played. But prior to that taking place, they've closed the gap to hold to to a singular point, um, two points off the top six. I mean, uh, we kind of, I, th- I think, on the the pre-match sort of team news video that we did, kind of mapped it out and said that it was very much alive if Norwich City could win. So it's it's still very much alive. It's a season that, that quite, won't quite die in many ways. <laughs> no, no, not in terms of top six. And it was interesting, and by no manner of means are we saying it's representative of the entire Norwich fan base, but on that live team news, the kind of the feedback from those watching... Clowns. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> they say they, they say that most weeks, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but in terms of... Um, Come off it. Are you serious? This team, this squad, this manager—they're they're, not—there's no danger of them getting anywhere near the top six. Um, have you not been watching kind of you know the trials and tribulations? And yes, all of that, and that probably lies the conundrum. And then they throw in the result. It, you know, we can debate in terms of the type of performance that achieved that result. But nevertheless, three points against a team who at kickoff have the same aspirations as they do over the remainder of this championship season. And then you're sat here, as, as you rightly say, Connor, and they're eighth in the table and they're two points out of the top six as it stands and we're recording just before the Saturday games. Um, so, so you have to talk about them in, in that conversation. Whether you think there's any feasibility of them maintaining it, that's almost a different debate. Right here, right now, Norwich are, justifiably, one of the clubs who will feel they can, with a consistent run from here, that's the key, consistent, can get into that top six because you look at it in purely points terms and games left and also narrow it the focus now Sargent's back you've got Barnes in there with Science and Rowe the first time those four have started in the, the championship last night and we saw the impact from John Rowe um, yes why can't they do it it's not it's not an irretrievable situation in terms of uh, that they haven't got enough points to get themselves in there so until that becomes the case Sadly, for some maybe who feel that it prolongs the agony, because that's also a, a thought process we're starting to see now as well. That, uh, oh, that's just kept him, him, him being David Wagner in a job for another however many games. Um, you know, he he clearly speaking to him after the game feels that they are in the shout and that they can now with all these players back the key players, they can kick on and it can be a platform for for something. Which, bizarre as it feels, given he spent weeks prior to Christmas batting away questions about his own future and that group of players, seven defeats in nine league games, how on earth they can be eighth as we record, two points off the playoffs. I think we've said it on quite a few recent podcasts, it just underlines how bang average this championship is, that given those regressive traits, they're still really in the mix. And, um, you know, if, 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 it's almost in spite of rather than because of that they are still a live chance for a top six place then we'll, we'll continue to talk about it but I don't think any of us are fooled around this table or anybody who watched that game either in person last night or on the telly that the manner they achieved that latest result inspires confidence that they can hang around the top six between now and the end of May 
Yeah, um, we'll reflect on the, on the performance in, in, in a moment. But Sam, given the, the week that's been, we obviously had the, the draw against Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup, the frustration, the discontent, the, the fury that followed after that. Not just that, of course, the approach to the Southampton game and then obviously the, the two festive defeats against West Brom and, and Millwall. I mean, Paddy's sort of framed it in terms of David Wagner, but it, it kind of felt like everybody needed that, given just how negative, just how... Um, down it's been to be a Norwich City fan and in and around the, the football club in, in the last seven days, two weeks or so. Yeah, I think you can tell from speaking to fans and engaging social media quite how much of a boost that's been quite a lot of people. To be honest, I didn't I didn't really expect it given the the sense that a lot of people had going into it. I think you spoke about it a little bit really that maybe a win would just be prolonging it. But I think you can tell how important it was for those fans to get a lift just from how they've reacted to that result and they did see quite a lot of positives obviously Jonathan Rowe scored not only a fantastic goal but one that's typical of his abilities and what he's contributed this season Angus Gunn with a, a fantastic individual performance and I think although nobody was fooled that there were signs of you know consistency and a plan that can be repeated numerous times over the rest of the season I think there were enough positives in there to, to perk up those fans and to really remind them why they're they're still sticking around and why they're still um, interested in this football club. I thought Will Jennings wrote a, a good column um, for us going into the game about the fact that you know Norwich fans aren't really happy with their team at the moment but they'll always believe and they'll always back their team and I think that highlighted why because they went to a, a, into a game when they were quite firm underdogs I'd say maybe not to the levels of games against sort of Southampton and Leeds but Hull were definitely the favourites going into it and they went into it and, and they believed and they were able to get a result on the road in front of 1,300 of their travelling fans and I think that's really important for those fans it's a reward that they've deserved a number of times this season and although I understand a lot of people's concerns about the long-term replicability of that performance Every time that they manage to eke out one of these wins, I do just feel pleased for for those supporters that have gone all that way and have, you know, put in so much effort to um, to be there and to to support their team. And I think they they deserve that. So there were definitely positives to take from that, and you know we'll discuss those as well as the negatives. Um, but yeah, mainly I'm just just pleased for the fans. And yeah, I think like you said, everyone needed that win really to lift things and to to get things back to to just, if not average or, or where people want them to be, reminding them why they love this club and why they love supporting their team. From, from David Wagner's perspective, and I guess the team as well, Adam, because as we said, they, they, had, they arrived at Hull really under pressure, it, it felt like, certainly in terms of fan sentiment, more, more than anything else. Relief, or will that be the overriding emotion from, from Friday night? Yeah, I think if you looked at David Wagner's body language and demeanour in his press conference on Thursday, it sort of struck me as a man that's maybe starting to to feel that pressure, whether that's externally or, or internally. Um, and yeah, that's that's just a huge result for for the team, for David Wagner, and even for Norwich City fans. I think if you know you go to football to see your team win, and, and irrespective of your thoughts and feelings towards the current situation, David Wagner, the players, the board, whatever it might be, you've got to enjoy an away win on the road on on a Friday night. Um, particularly going to a place like Hull where it's Norwich haven't won there since 2007 it's not a particularly happy hunting ground the Hull had been pretty pretty good at, at home so far this season and also a side that's got big aspirations to to get into the top six of course you know they unveiled Fabio Carvalho yesterday and, and sort of the hype around that it felt like it was almost almost nailed on that Hull were going to get the win last night so for Norwich to go there ride that and, and come out the other end with a, a battling three points is um, is a huge relief and it you know, okay, it, it rumbles on this debate of is top six still alive? Is it is it dead? Which is kind of I don't know, almost a little bit reminiscent of last season, where I think everyone in everyone from Norwich City persuasion maybe felt it was not a, a probability or a possibility. Uh, but unfortunately, we had to go right until West Brom two games for the last game of the season before uh, we could finally you know make that make that final you know decision. They're not going to be in the top six, so. Yeah, it is a relief, and it's also for those fans that you know travelled all those all those hours and a late you know late late night for many of them probably getting back last night from from Hull. It, it's just a sense of you know seeing their team get three points on the road. That that's an enjoyable feeling, and it is a, a team built on moments, and they got more of those last night. 
Yeah, you, you, you referenced those moments there, and that, that kind of typifies it, doesn't it, really, Paddy? I mean, uh, Adam said that the, the stage was kind of set, really, for Fabio Carvalho, being the man who was unveiled by, by Hull. A lot of attention um, on that signing. Obviously, it was on, on Sky Sports as well, and I haven't watched their coverage, but from, from what I gather, there was a lot of excitement from, from them around Fabio Carvalho. A certain Norwich City winger, I think, took a, a little bit of exception to that. That was, that was quite some goal from John Rowan uh, in front of a national audience again for Norwich City again this season producing a, a really unbelievable moment to, to put them ahead with the first shot or target in the game it was a moment of quality in a game at that point that, that had been really lacking it and that, and that isn't an isolated incident with him this season it, it's a breakout season he, it was injury interrupted because it feels like he's just burst on the scene but of course you know he made his Premier League debut under Dean Smith around about this time two seasons ago and Whereas last season was clearly a learning curve and he, he spoke about that, didn't he, when he came back about, you know, his trajectory was that and then suddenly he, he's denied what what he wants to do, which is be in the first team and play and play football and be the key player in a first team environment. And boy, is he that this season. 11 league goals now for the season. Um, and he's, let's be honest, uh, if you stopped the player of the year voting now, there's what there's only one candidate for me. Um He's been the, the beacon in, in what has been, as we all know, uh, a maddeningly, maddeningly frustrating, inconsistent season in terms of where Norwich pitched their ambitions and where they are currently and the troughs they've had to sort of emerge from and, and you hope that now they're coming through this festive one. Um, he has been the constant and... Uh, you know, it won't do anything to halt the, the, the avalanche of speculation around his future in January. David Wagner, again, by some of the sort of, I think it was the Hall-based journalist post-match, was asked about John Rowe and in, in the prism of what, 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 what will happen to him in January and repeated what he said through our channels. And, you know, that as far as Norwich is concerned, that's parked now and, and they will pick it up again in the end of the season. You know, they, they've made him two offers, uh, him and his representatives, from what we understand. And they clearly have felt from their side looking at it um, that they're going to wait and see and why wouldn't they because his star is on the rise now and you can see the Premier League speculation that he's attracting I don't think it's anything tangible in terms of offers but you know we're I don't think we're even halfway through January are we now or if I think yeah we're not even halfway through so this will intensify now between now and the deadline day and as much as Norwich have made their position clear who knows if he continues on now in the next few games there may be firm offers in the last week 10 days of the window and then Norwich will have a decision to make um, because there's no doubt he is the shining light and particularly with Gabby Zara maybe dipping in terms of his productivity goals and assists you know that's nine games now without a goal or an assist so while he's maybe in a bit of a, a lull in terms of you know headline grabbing moments John Rowe is continuing to burn brightly and and it's great to see because you know much has been made about that maybe the, the the blockage in the academy pipeline um, in, in in sort of the post Max Aaron's Jamal Lewis Todd Cantwell cohort Ben Godfrey you could throw in there as well and there has been a lull but he he is he is now the next cab off the rank very much and he has transitioned from prospect to you no know, fully fledged bona fide top end championship performer with the potential given his his age um, you know he is Premier League grade because he's producing numbers at his age uh, which would suggest that clubs higher than Norwich will be looking at him and um, can you imagine if you took John Rowe and John Rowe's goals out this season what we'd, what we'd be dissecting I mean we, we feel it's bad at the minute you know it would have been a lot worse but for John Rowe this season that's a testament to him and um, and I just hope we can navigate this because inevitably there will be more speculation but we can navigate what's left of the January window he's still in the building and he just keeps his head down and 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 it looks like he's got his head screwed on that if I just keep performing on the pitch what will be will be from the summer onwards and and he will earn himself a move if Norwich are still in the championship because he'll have deserved his move um, and then it's a win-win and much like Madison and, and Max and Jamal maybe and Todd and maybe not Todd but <laughs> Ben Godfrey Norwich fans will look on with a, almost a paternal feel and, and wish him all the best because he's been brilliant for Norwich, albeit in a very brief period. But, uh, you know, I mean, we'll probably dissect the, the zoom out a little bit and the result itself. But Adam touched on it in moments and, and 
and it needs to be something more sustainable than a John Rowe producing moments and, and we'll probably get into that in the next part of the podcast but you know, just savour him because you know it'd be it'd be an even more depressing season to have followed Norwich's fortunes without John Rowe he feels increasingly to me very similar to James Madison yeah. in that first annual Farker season in terms of his goals his productivity his confidence but but everything I mean increasingly I'm, I'm watching him and of course it's very very difficult because injuries can happen and setbacks can happen but I just see a player who's who's going to play for England increasingly with, with, with John Rowe and there's a, still a lot of work to be done to get there but I think he's got those those raw minerals to, to do that and that, that final point Sam is the key one isn't it I mean I, I, I'm struggling to see a situation even now before with almost half a season left where he is wearing a Norwich City shirt next season um, he, he is going to be in, in the Premier League I think whether Norwich City are there or not and I think the expectation is that they're, they're probably not going to be it's just for Norwich fans enjoying the talent that, that he has at this moment in time because this season I think as Paddy said he's been almost like a bright light in what's been I don't want to say it's been dark because there, there are other clubs who have had um, other seasons but, but a season that, that has been frustrating and a season that hasn't yielded the, the type of results yet that, that everybody will have hoped for and will have wanted Yeah I've been thinking actually about what you can take from this season positively or ways to potentially enjoy it because I know it's been a very difficult season to be a Norwich fan the games haven't been especially entertaining you can't really rely on, on a result in any game given how inconsistent they've been and how much of a mid-table side they look at times and I think it does come down to those moments and although in terms of sustainability the reliance on that is what probably leaves them in quite a poor position in terms of what you can take out of this season and enjoy from watching them it is those sorts of moments and it is those minor positives and I think Jonathan Rowe really encapsulates that and you, you spoke about James Madison I think um, I think he was basically yeah he did exactly that in that 2017-18 season and if you look back on that almost every positive memory is is associated with with James Madison and hopefully in you know two or three years when this feels like a distant memory and Norwich have, have got things back on track that all the memories of this um, I think a lot of them will be John Rowe you look at sort of Derby Day and as Madison scored a winner in that one he rescued a point for them with a double and in the only two situations he he really affected moments like uh, last night when for a couple of minutes at least I think everyone associated with Norwich City forgot about the predicament they're in at large and just managed to enjoy the fact that they've currently got a player on their books that can score a goal like that so yeah I think it is a case of enjoying him while he's here the way that Wagner's speaking it, it sounds like it would take a, a significant bid to, um, to to maybe tempt Norwich into selling this month although of course he's the head coach that that gets left with that situation so I'm, I'm sure he would say that but yeah beyond that you know as Paddy said he's rejected two contract offers and although he doesn't seem like the type of character to kick up a fuss or, or make it clear that he wants to leave the club that is a very clear sign that he doesn't see his, his long term future being at Carrow Road and um, yeah with the financial situation Norwich are in with Ben Napper likely to want to get a little bit of money in to try and start some some sort of rebuild um, probably in a major way this summer um, with what looks like it'll be a, a lack of business mainly this this month um, yeah it does look very very likely that he leaves in the summer and yeah just just enjoy him while he's here because there aren't too many players that that come along and play like this in a Norwich shirt even you know those names that Paddy mentioned earlier the likes of Godfrey and Jamal Lewis and Max Aarons none of them I would say performed and part of this is because they were defenders but none of them were as exciting at this age as, as John Rowe is now so he really is a, a special talent the sort that you don't see very often in, in yellow and green so yeah just enjoy him for the next um, few months and then probably I'm sure Norwich fans will, will wish him well in the future Yeah I, I just had a look while you were talking there James Madison in, in that season scored 14 goals John Rowe has 11 already it's um, it's, it's quite staggering what, what he's achieved and actually I think what's, what's more to Aaron, I spoke to Greg Crane after the FA Youth Cup a few weeks ago who worked with Rowe in the academy and it was, it was almost a frustration because he, he feels there's so much more still to come from him and I've, I've spoken to others as well and he's, he's been a, a shiny light in the academy for a, for a few years Adam I mean 
and, and, and I think you get the sense from him as well when you speak, this sense that he still hasn't hit quite top gear yet. And maybe that's partly down to the type of side that he's playing in and the way they're setting up. But that is, that is the attitude that you want from a young player. And I think that ability is almost quite nonchalant, the way that, that he, he drove forward yesterday, right foot, left foot, outside of the boot. I mean, it's, it's, it's an outrageous goal to score for, for a young player in, in a game where a lot more experienced players were, were struggling to produce anything. Yeah, I always feel special players are determined kind of by the ability where maybe they're not in a game, they can still produce that one moment that wins you the game and, and gets you three points. There's plenty of players that probably fit that bill and there has been points this season where maybe his performances have dipped but it's that individual quality at key moments that he's got to, to go and get the goal Norwich need to get three points or, or rescue the, the point in certain situations. I mean, even like, you know, go back to the Portman Road game, I don't think he was particularly great that day but he scored the two crucial goals that mean Norwich's unbeaten run against those down the road continues so yeah he's a, he's a special player and that goal last night just for me you know that sort of encapsulates what John Rowe is as a player just the ability to drive at defenders they they back off him because they're they're worried at what he's going to do and then the ability to just loss it home in, in those moments where maybe other players of his age might sort of rush the shot or whatever I think it's just that cool calm head he's got that's that's there, and I think given the backstories, you know, of him as a player, the way he's come through the academy, had to deal with lots of challenges, and he's overcome all those hurdles. And there is more hurdles to overcome for him, you know. And that will be when he gets to the Premier League, he's going to have to step up again, and whether that be with Norwich or or another team. But there's a player there who's willing to work, and that's often the case with, with young players. I mean, Todd Campbell, I feel, you know, the individual quality and, and the talent, we all knew it was there, but maybe it was just that sort of attitude to, to really graft in in training or on the pitch maybe at different points maybe to compare that to, to John Rowe isn't it's kind of they're almost on different different planets I feel like John Rowe's willing to, to put the work in to get to where he wants to be and I think hopefully fingers crossed he continues with that and he'll reach um, his full potential and I think that'll be at the top end of the Premier League and hopefully a fully fledged England international playing in World Cups and Euros. Yeah, and, and look, Paddy, I don't want to, I don't want to sell off Norwich City's uh, key assets here. We've 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 spoken about you John. Won't need to work too hard, no, no, I know. We've uh, we, we we've spoken about John Rowe there. Does Angus Gunn now need to be put in this conversation as well with uh, with Sarah, who, who I know we I think we all probably feel is, is going through a little bit of a dip in the moment, and I think they haven't seen the interview. But from from what people have told me, there were some interesting comments about his position and what he's being asked to do in in, in the team uh, on, on Sky ahead of the game last night. John Rowe as well. Angus Gunn increasingly, I mean, our Shane Duffy last night, he feels he's the best goalkeeper in the championship. For as much as it is the, the highlight reel of, of John Rowe's goal that is going to be the one that maybe does the rounds, Angus Gunn probably deserves more credit than anybody for, for Norwich City's victory last night. Well, they don't win, the, they don't win that game, do they? If, if you take out his excellence, you know, and, um, that's, and he is Shane Duffy's right, stating the obvious for me, he is the best keeper in the championship. Um, and the concern from a Norwich perspective is... You know, subject to um, clean bill of health for him between now and the end of the season, he'll go off with Scotland. He'll be their number one at the Euros. Twenty-five uh, as well as contract. Exactly, and um, you know he plays well. He, he he pushes his claims on a stage of that magnitude with the contract situation you just mapped out there. If they haven't tied him down, then I think it's inevitable there'll be lots of speculation about his future end. You know, we talk about it from a speculation point of view, but what do these players want as well? Does John Rowe want to be playing as playing as traders high up the pyramid? Surely he does. Angus Gunn, I'm not speaking for him, but he obviously got his big move to Southampton. It didn't work out for him. I'm sure there's a burning desire for him to go back and prove, no, I am a Premier League grade keeper. Um, so all of those strands you're talking about there, Sarah as well, that's for Ben Napper. He has to pull those together and sell these players, these key players, a vision of if as it, as we all feel it's probably going to be it's going to plateau this season and they'll be back in the championship again next season Ben Abbott has to sit down with these guys and sell them the vision of this is where we're going we want you to be part of that and obviously that's going to be very difficult for Roe particularly and probably Zara as well but maybe Angus Gunn with the the green and yellow that runs through his veins and the family connection maybe you know maybe you can convince him to no stay give us your best years and we will take you where you want to go in your career maybe that's a rather romantic ideal I mean the reality is all of these players will need to see from Ben Napper as a representative of Norwich City Football Club an ambition that matches theirs and if they don't I don't blame them if they, if they seek past his new 
when the time is right in terms of their contractual status. Um, and you'd hope there was a few more you could throw in. I mean, Josh Sargent probably is in that category as well, but they've actually tied him down. So there will be, moving beyond this season, how this plays out from here, for the what next, for the re-energising on and off the pitch, that football club, there are key players they will need to build something around. And Angus Gunn falls into that category, absolutely. Um, because you turn the flip side around, Angus Gunn goes, where do they stand there? Is George Long ready? No, I think we, we'd all agree George Long is a pale imitation of Angus Gunn. Are any of those younger category keepers on the books now, are they ready to step up and be Norwich's number one? So there's, there's, there's knock-on impacts if Angus moves on. And, um, yeah, that is, that is not a scenario I don't think any Norwich fan would want to see this coming summer, that he goes off and plays so well in the Euros that clubs come and make him offers and make Norwich offers that simply they, they have to cash in because... You know, as you rightly say, Connor, he's a 25 contract option, um, and Norwich have to protect an asset in that regard. I'm, I'm sure there are tentative moves in that direction in terms of contracts with Angus Gunn, but much like John Rowe and his representatives, why would Angus Gunn do anything this side of a shop window as high profile as the Euros? It just wouldn't make any sense from a player's point of view. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of waiting and seeing, I think, in terms of those key players with Norwich and um, and Ben Napa. And um, it's, again, just another, for me, sign that this summer, we, we feel like we always talk about it's a big summer for Norwich. This summer is absolutely massive, I think. I think it's a fault line. It's it's Can, can they navigate the player recruitment side, the player retention side? Maybe, let's be honest, the head coach falls into that equation as well. Do you stick or twist? And can they bring it all together under Ben Napper's guidance with Mark Atanasio and his group, hopefully stepping forward even more um, and really jet propel what Norwich are trying to do, which is get themselves back at the top end of the Championship, competing, get in the Premier League and then, in contrast to the Weber era, stay there. Yeah, indeed. It's Josh Sargent's a really interesting one because you, you hear kind of top coach, Jurgen Klopp was talking about this the other day, about the lack of number nines almost when, when teams are going out and trying to find strikers. If he could get himself on a, on a run, then maybe he's another one that, that you could put in that in that conversation. I'm sure he, he will know that. But yeah, Angus Gunning increasingly feels um, like a, a Premier League grade player as in the same way that we're talking about John Rowe and, and Gabby Sarra. Um, Sam, just uh, briefly, we're, we're going to talk more about the game and I guess Norwich City's approach to it in part two, but I want to deal with, with, with some of the the, the refereeing decisions that um, particularly upset um, Liam Rossinia last night. Um, let's let's rubbish the simulation ones because they were both dives. The two fan one is is un, undeniably a dive, and it's a great. I think it's a great decision from the referee. Actually, you don't often see referees brave enough to make that decision. Um, the Gunn and, and Connolly one, for me, I I don't really feel is a foul either way. Um, I, it's definitely not a Norwich free kick. I don't think, Con but I, I think Gunn. Yes, there's force, but he goes and, and wins the ball. The one that he does have a case in is, is probably the, the Yanulis one, right? He's, he's, he's incredibly fortunate to remain on the pitch. And obviously that has a, a bigger impact because Norwich go down the other end and, and score, what, 30 seconds a minute or so later? Yeah, I don't know what Yanulis was thinking, to be honest, uh, looking back on that incident. And as much as David Wagner criticised Science and made it clear to him that his behaviour in the West Brom game wasn't on. He needs to be doing the same with Yanulis because he's he's made a stupidly rash uh, decision there. The linesman's right in front of him. It absolutely should be a red card, and, and Norwich have got away with one there. And you know Yanulis has really put them in a, a compromising position. You can see he's had a little look as well. It's not like a case where his his arm is just flailing about, and he happens to to catch him. He has a look, he knows where, um, was it Coyle? I think, yeah, Louis Coyle, he knows where he is, swings his arm before the ball's even reached him. And yeah, to be honest, I don't know how he's he's escaped a, a red card there. I think Rossini definitely has a case there, and, and Norwich have got away with one in that sense. But I also feel there's a case to be had that um, Hull could have had a red card with Tufan, who I thought dived when he was trying to, well, it felt like he was trying to get McLean sent off because he. McLean was on a yellow card, wasn't he? And, and Tufan went over after McLean had withdrawn from a tackle. I felt he was quite fortunate to avoid a yellow card for simulation there. So arguably, the one that he did eventually get could have been a second one. And and maybe Hull got lucky in that sense. The gun one, I, I, I mean, given he's a goalkeeper, I think in most games you wouldn't see much given against him there. But 
I do have sympathy um, for Connolly a little bit in that Gunn's knee is raised. Um, that's the one the one element that I don't think you'd see from an outfield player. For example, if Shane Duffy is, is jumping for a header, you never see him put a knee in someone's back or anything like that. And I think goalkeepers do tend to get away, get away with that a little bit, but that's probably more of a, a general problem with the way that the goalies are perceived in the rules and in, in referees' minds than it was with Gunn because I don't think many goalkeepers um, would be sent off for that, definitely with without VAR. So, yeah, although I think Norwich were incredibly fortunate and Yanulis has, has got away with one, made a rash decision and put his team as, and compromised his team, really, uh, I think it maybe wasn't as completely one-sided as, as Rossini wanted to make out post-match. No, and I guess the, the omission of the Yanulis one was the fact he was taken off at half time, right? And I think Wagner pretty much said that that was that was uh, that was why. I mean, there was well, there was four yellow cards in pretty quick succession for Norwich last night, Adam. I've seen kind of the discipline point raised in it in a few cases. Is that is that a thing that concerns you that, that Norwich are maybe in portions of games just I don't want to say losing <laughs> losing their heads, but for want of a better phrase, there there is kind of this straying of the line, I guess that, that we're seeing pretty consistently, probably stemming back from that science incident on, on Boxing Day. Yeah, I saw that concern kind of I suppose mutually agreed by all Norwich fans last night on, on social media. I saw a few people don't condone betting, but people that were putting you know bets on Norwich to pick up a red card, and I think that's probably a a fair reflection of the game. Norwich were, were riding their luck a bit in terms of those yellow cards. You, you mentioned the four there in, in quick quick succession and it's been a bit of a theme really in, in recent games in they're picking up very silly yellow cards and making decisions maybe a bit a bit rashly, almost as if the kind of mindset of, of trying to be a stronger defensive unit it's just a case of trying to eliminate every threat that opposition teams have and don't get me wrong, Hull had some you know some very dangerous attacking talent and I think that, you know, could almost be a hindrance in terms of trying to pick up yellow cards because they've got players that are with tricky feet that will run past you and of course Kenny McLean is not a, a natural centre half you know he's playing in, a, in an unnatural position he's done well there but he's not by trade a, a defender so I think those kind of moments where maybe a, a defender's instinct would maybe back out of a challenge I think he maybe doesn't have quite the same quite the same mindset there um, but yeah it, it is a concern because it could say Norwich do get their form going later on in the season and they get to the points where they are in and amongst the top six sort of challenge almost, or the teams trying to push for the playoffs. Then you go to sort of the, maybe the three, you know, final three or four games where they need to pick up points, and then they get red cards based on that kind of lack of discipline. I think it needs to be stamped out now um, by whoever is dealing with that internally in the club. But yeah, that's certainly a, certainly an issue. Um, and Norwich really don't need sort of their key players getting free game suspensions on the back of just silly challenges that are, or as we saw with Borja signs, a red card that was just completely unnecessary. Welcome back to the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast brought to you by Coleman's of Norwich. Reflecting on a 2-1 win at Hull on Friday night. Um, we'll do our Bring the Heat segment a little bit later. Um, but Paddy, I mean, we, we, we have to talk about the way that Norwich City uh, approached it. What are you laughing for? I'm just trying to think now, what's my Bring the Heat segment? Because <laughs> well, we that's, plan this to the nth degree, yeah, don't yeah. we? Yeah, well, that's, what, that's why I'm, I'm always putting you guys on notice more than, more than anyone else. But there's, there's been, again, a lot of debate around substance versus, versus style. Um, Norwich City have, uh, have won the game. They haven't done it in the most convincing way. I think that's that's fair to say. Rossinho again. I mean, I mean, his press conference was was pretty frustrated. What you guys uh, weren't privy to, I was, because because Wagner was obviously in, and I come from a different part of the stadium. Having spoken to Shane Duffy, I was outside his uh, outside the press conference room waiting for Wagner to finish, and he was just pacing the corridor pretty frantically huffing and puffing he did so. come in muttering even before he got to the yeah. actual stage muttering what was it something along ref, refs yeah. again we're talking about refs yeah. again he couldn't wait no. couldn't even wait for the microphone he, he, yeah. he, was, he was on it exactly but in, in, in terms of Norwich's approach I mean park the this, this stuff and the conspiracy nonsense that he drifted off to in terms of the referees the, the points that he made actually about the game and, 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 and those elements, do, do you feel he, he had a point? Do you feel that Norwich City, and, and again, it's not the first time that we've heard, a, uh, I guess maybe quite similar to, to Russell Martin in terms of felt that his side had dominated the game. I felt they probably lacked clear-cut opportunities in that sense, but you can understand why maybe there are Norwich fans, and yes, Norwich have won, but there are Norwich fans who feel frustrated that a team with some of the players that we spoke about in part one, Angus Gunn, um, more so the attacking players, Borja Sainz, John Rowe, Josh Sargent, Gabriel Sarra, 
Marcelino Nunez are being reduced to having 33% possession and, and having to soak up a, a lot of pressure. Can you understand those, those frustrations or, or, or do the results, I guess, speak more um, than, than maybe those, those frustrations that Norwich fans have? Do they override them? Not, well, not for me. I can only talk from my perspective, but I think it's probably a perspective that's held by a lot of Norwich fans. And that is, it's all about how they're trying to do this. It's all about how they're progressing the ball from the back to the front to use the best of those resources you talked about. What's the point of having Nunes and Zara, Rowe and Science, and all you're getting is your centre-backs launching it in the direction vaguely of Ashley Barnes, uh, either took for him or over his head to run and chase. That cannot be the best utilisation of those players we've talked about in, in progressive areas. What is Nunes and Zara thinking as the ball keeps going back and forward over their heads? Um, no, this is the crux of the issue for me. I mean, um, my mind keeps coming back to Ben Lee, who does these excellent tactical reports, and we share them on the pink. And, and, and Adam touched on it earlier on. He talks a lot about you dissect a Wagner coaching template and and then overlay it with what we've seen this season. It's just moments. It's John Rowe. It's Josh Sargent when you've had 25% possession against Southampton, whacking one into the bottom corner from 18 yards. It's individual moments. Angus it's Angus Gunn. And as, as Ben writes, you know, moments will decide games, but it's your processes that, that create those moments. And at the moment, it would feel Norwich are either reliant on an individual or errors from your opposition to then provide turnover opportunities. And you look at the... The row goal, brilliant though it was, it came from Ashley Barnes, hopeful punt forward and hold out deal with the first bounce. They let it bounce and then rose on it like a flash. That's not progressing the ball in a, a clear ideological manner through a Nunes, through a pivot of Nunes and Sara. Um, and then you just, again, you just contrast it as we, we feel like we do most weeks against maybe how Ipswich go about it and the rotational elements. A 10 who drops into those pockets, not too out and out forwards or you just try and hit and play off them no it's more nuanced than that it's more intelligent for me if I'm being brutally honest it's individuals who understand what they're trying to do within the collective of a head coach who has set those parameters and they're all buying into it um, Southampton clear philosophy whole clear philosophy you know 67% possession 33% possession 19 shots on target 9 shots on target yes the only stat that counts is that Norwich score more goals than Hull and they take the three points home. But that's not sustainable. And that's what the point of Ben Lee makes often. To do what they did last night will get you a result of that manner where it's the great escape bar the music. You're camped on the 18-yard box, you're heading balls. Shane Duffy, that's his game all day long. If he doesn't have to run, if he doesn't have to track into a channel, doesn't get pulled into spaces he doesn't want to be in, he's probably as good as any in the championship. Ball's raining in and he'll go and meet them and head them away. Ben Gibson to a lesser extent um, but that's not sustainable that that for me doesn't get you to the conversation where a Leicester where an Ipswich where a Leeds where a Southampton are which is where Norwich should be which was where we all felt they hopefully could be at the start of the season if things came together um, so there's a deficit there there's, there's, there's where we all feel that this group of players could get to and what we're seeing now which is you know we balked at the, the question you put to him on Thursday about streaking us but what other conclusion can you draw if you chop up David Wagner's time as Norwich manager it's clumps of results clumps of results to me are a byproduct of not having that very clear philosophy a well coached team in and out of possession and to give him his due and I wrote about him in my point yesterday I think after the first seven or eight games of the season you would have said there is a clear philosophy that not only the individuals but they knew what they were trying to do and how they progressed the ball and, and there was a clear plan and it was proving effective in terms of results and maybe David would, would shoot back well you know you lose just Sargent you lose Ashley Barnes to a lesser extent um, you don't have science available then John Rose in and out with a few injuries the, the changes they've had to make at centre back then this this is inevitable that, that it gets a bit frayed around the edges but to me, I think that's a bit of an easy get-out. I think there should still be a clear thread running through, irrespective of whether your frontline players are available or not, that would weather those periods of games, periods of seasons, when you don't have a Josh Sargent available, for example. So, you know, that's, I think, where my frustration lies with David Wagner, is that, that it's not that can he go and get a result... Uh, yes he can he can set a team up and they can dig out results they did it against Southampton whether you liked how they went about it or not they got a result they did it last night we've seen it at Ipswich even 
they were probably, the, in terms of possession and, and chance of creation, again, second best. But they got a result. But how are they getting these results and how sustainable is that? Um, and, I, and I just feel it isn't in terms of Norwich, certainly in terms of a top two conversation, but probably even a top six by the time we get to May. Yeah, and, and, and the, the brutal fact of the matter is, uh, yes, and you say they, they won this game. If you are reliant on, on John Rowe basically drifting past three men and, and using the outside of his boot to, to, to find the bottom corner every, every game, you're not going to win many matches. And that, that is probably why Norwich is so inconsistent, because of these moments that they're so reliant on. Because as soon as you have a game, West Brom, Millwall, where you lack those because Rowe's on the bench or... Uh, there's some injuries or whatever as soon as you get into that situation you find yourself in trouble again and, and, and that is not a recipe for getting in the top six particularly when and, and, and the field and pool that Norwich are in at the moment Hull have deficiencies uh, Coventry have deficiencies West Brom have deficiencies uh, Middlesbrough all of, the, all of those teams have deficiencies which is why they're in this clump of teams that we're seeing it's a massive clump from, from about Blackburn and 16th upwards and, and almost the key to it is going to be how successfully they can mask them. Um, and and maybe, maybe they are doing that successfully because they're, they're, they're still in the race. But I think there is this parallel universe, Sam, where some Norwich fans are, again, looking at the quality that's on that team sheet and, and just thinking, surely it doesn't have to be like this. Surely it can be. I mean, Josh Sargent, for example, had, had 10 touches last night. One of those was in the, the opposition penalty area. Um, I think Norwich had 11 touches in, in, in Hull's box in total. Um, you, you can understand why there is, yes, absolutely, relief and joy at a victory, but also that nagging feeling that is probably in the back of most Norwich City fans' heads of oh, it could and should be better than, than, than what they're producing at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, to be honest, you can see the separation in the team between the players that Wagner loves and the ones that maybe have to be, you know, you know the, the ones that are Wagner-type players and the ones that have to be in the team purely because of their quality. You know, Shane Duffy is in a role that suits him very much. He finds himself playing in games that that are tuned to his attributes um, sort of most weeks. And then you look at the likes of Gabriel Sara, who is looks looks fairly out of position, isn't really as involved as you'd like him to be for the level of ability he's got compared to the rest of the squad. And I think there is that separation between a team that probably Wagner likes to see and the sorts of players that he he signed or he had an impact in signing this summer and the players that were already here that you know maybe he liked and, and recognised were good for the championship but that are going to have to fit around his system rather than the other way around. So I do see that sort of parallel universe you talk about where these players are utilised in a, a better sort of system, but it would rely on him dropping some of those players that have been so so key for him and so regular in those starting 11s because, you know, as, as Pad said, you can't have Shane Duffy running the channels and sitting on the halfway line trying to work in a high press. It would require him sitting on the bench and probably... Grant Hanley coming in, if not somebody being signed in the transfer window to play that role and playing alongside Kenny McLean, who isn't a natural centre-back. So it would require a lot of change and probably a lot of change that Wagner isn't quite comfortable with based on the way that he likes to set up his team. But equally, he's the one that's sort of you know, set these parameters for himself. When he arrived at the club, you, you read out the quotes on last week's podcast. He talked about attacking front-footed football and he's been associated with this sort of heavy metal football and I think there's this perception sometimes that the only way you can play attacking football in the modern day is to try and pass teams to death and play short passes all the time and that isn't the case. Norwich don't have to play in exactly the same way that they did under Daniel Farker but there's not really any level of proactivity in the way that they play. It feels to me that the whole plan is designed around defending and then hoping that you know we've spoken a lot about moments hoping that one of those springs out from that solid defending and although it does get you decent results at times I think it is a waste of a lot of those players talents I think you can see it in the likes of Borja Science performance to be honest that he's buzzing around he's trying to make something happen but he just doesn't have enough around him or enough of the ball really to make the impact that probably he could uh, at this level so it is encouraging in one sense because a lot of fans are already looking beyond the Wagner era, beyond this season and how this team could 
could maybe rebuild and I think they have got players in there that could contribute to that even beyond the ones that look likely to, to leave in the summer you know I think Scythe is somebody who who could play in that system and they have others in there that are technically capable of, of playing in a more attacking more controlled system but while they're under David Wagner a lot of these players are, are probably frustrated and feel that they're playing in the wrong roles you mentioned that that Sarah interview with Sky Sports before the game and I also haven't haven't seen it but like you say a lot of people are, are saying that he maybe didn't sound best pleased with the the role he's been asking to play and it feels to me all a little bit Wes Houlihan under Chris Hewton in that there are certain players I think Wagner knows he can't he can't drop at the moment but equally they don't really fit his system and although their quality is is coming through they aren't being utilised in the best way so I'm sure it's in Ben Napper's head the sort of squad that he has at the moment and the fact that actually although it is pretty turgid to watch at times there is potential to change it with some additions and some changes in, in certain positions so that will be on his mind but as far as Wagner's concerned I'd be surprised if we do see that change um, between now and the end of his time at this club because I think I asked him before the Bristol Rovers game um, whether the Southampton sort of game plan was, was going to be repeated and whether that was reflective of how he wanted his team to play and he said no, here we are sort of eight or nine days later and he's, he's done it again against Hull. So yeah, it feels like that might be the way forward unfortunately for as long as, as David Wagner remains at Carrow Road uh, against the sort of top half teams at least and I don't think fans are especially pleased with that but as you said they have got the players to to probably play a more entertaining and attacking style of football and that's what makes it so frustrating to watch at times. Is, is there because I'm sure David Wagner would sit here and go well hang on you know I, I tried to be really open I tried to go after teams in, in the autumn and we were conceding two goals a game and we were getting absolutely battered you, you look at how they've tweaked since the Cardiff game in terms of the goals conceded like I say it was two pre-Cardiff two goals per game that they were conceding so that means you then need three moments of individual quality to get results compared to post-Cardiff where they, I think they've conceded 11 in 11 so one goal a game essentially um, which Again, if you are reliant on moments, which we've, we've said this Norwich team are, you're then relying on fewer of them in order to get results. They're playing games in, in smaller margins. So he would say, look, I, I am just getting results with, with kind of what I've got at this moment in time, whether that's palatable to supporters or, or not. So is, is it uh, romantic, or yeah, is, uh, is it people romanticising that Norwich can play a, a really open, expansive brand with, with this group of players? Or, I don't know, is David Wagner justified because the... the, the the results, I guess, in terms of Hull and in terms of when he has Southampton, when he has used these approach, means that they are getting results irrespective of, of, of that sort of style and, 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 and the way that they're going about it. Yeah, when you're then talking, Sam, it kind of brought to me the, almost the thought of when Norwich were under Neil Adams and it was kind of a, a side that lacked kind of, there was lots of quality in it, but maybe didn't have the, the structure and they weren't being utilised to the best of their abilities. And then Alex Neil came in and kind of completely revitalised them and they looked like a, a side that knew how to play. They were a, a you know, solid kind of unit. You knew how they approached games and they went to attack teams, they got goals and it was an you know, enjoyable brand of football to watch and it almost feels like we're almost in that, that situation again. But to David Wagner's kind of, I suppose, you could argue to, if you're him that maybe, actually I spoke to the, a Hull fan this week on Terrace Talk and he kind of alluded to it himself. He kind of said, Hull have got a squad at the moment which is kind of spanning about three or four managers where there's a lot of players that are ex-managers, players that maybe aren't quite suited to what the current regime and the current manager are trying to do. And it feels a little bit like that um, still at the moment. You've got sort of some Daniel Farker players still in the building. You've got some players that Dean Smith recruited for what he wanted to do. You've now got players that David Vargas recruited or Stuart Webber maybe recruited for what he maybe felt that this team needed. And I feel like maybe now it's, it's down to Ben Napper to kind of almost put this, uh, the stamp on this side um, and of course, they've got a lot of players out of contract this summer, so maybe that's the chance to re revamp, revitalise, almost go again. Um, it might take some time, which I think if Norwich fans are given a kind of a clear project and, and something they can buy into, I think then that's completely fair and justified. And I think fans will buy into that because that's what we got when Stuart Weber arrived. Their first season was difficult. There was moments. It's almost a little bit like this this season in some ways that that first Daniel Farker season, but the second season you could see the kind of those moments that 
the flashes of what we could see they were trying to do came to life and of course then it ended up being one of the the best scenes in Norwich City's certainly recent history but probably in their entire history so yeah I, th I think there's a lot of mitigation but for David Wagner he did recruit a lot of these players for what he wanted to do this summer as well and ultimately there's still no st uh, sort of style that or not what he outlined he was going to try and bring to the team they're certainly not producing that on the pitch they're not going toe-to-toe -to -toe with teams they're not playing really any style of football to be quite honest um, but they're getting results and come the end of the season given the kind of the quality of the championship and the, the lack of teams running away with it at the moment who knows it, it might be enough if he can get to three or four games out and Norwich is still in the mix they might be able to, to get themselves in the top six but then you've got the argument then you've got the playoff games and has he approached them so it's all it's all a bit of a cycle at the moment and it's a difficult one to navigate but um, while he's getting results here and there in the meantime it's probably from those in, in a power situation at Norwich probably justified that he keeps his uh, position here at, here at the club Yeah and I think I think you're, you're right in terms of what you touch upon there in terms of and I think in many ways it, it kind of sums up as we've discussed I think for the last half an hour where Norwich City are and where he has increasingly found himself as head coach which is chasing results and, and that absence of process which has been eroded probably since Daniel Varka left the club and, and this has kind of culminated in, in where Norwich are at now that it's all about chasing the next result chasing the next result and actually and, and Stuart Webber spoke about this when he came in in 2017 you have to look beyond that you have to create something that allows you to do that over a prolonged period of time in a way that is sustainable and I think that is why there is maybe this, this itch that Norwich fans quite, can't quite scratch at this moment in time uh, and Paddy just, just very finally um, before we, we go on to sort of bring the heat and, and other elements around our, our trip this weekend um, he, he does deserve credit for that defensive improvement doesn't he because as we said the, the two goals a game statistic um, we saw against Blackburn and uh, in, in that terrible run in the autumn, Cardiff as well, and, and I think he spoke about how was it seven topics they had that they that he wanted them to improve on. Um, good luck naming all of them, but there ha there has been undeniably an improvement in their defensive um, solidity and, and and conceding fewer goals per per game. Whether you want to put mitigation of opponents maybe being unable to convert what is quite large amounts of possession, I guess he would say, well, that's because of how Norwich have, have played structurally. Whether you agree with that or not. Um, him and his coaching team do deserve some credit for, for addressing that particular deficiency of this Norwich side. Yes, but if if they've gone to that spec to that end of the spectrum by essentially what we saw last night, what we saw at Sunderland, what we saw against Southampton, conceding vast quantities of possession and chances, um, and basically being obdurate and, and and trying to moments at the other end to get results. Is that entertaining? Do Norwich fans pay their money to watch that? But he would argue, does it matter if you're getting results? Well, it matters. It clearly matters to Norwich fans because... But does it matter for him and his position? Well, it does matter because, if he, you know, ultimately, you say he's getting results. As we record here, they're eighth at kickoff. That, that to me, isn't a benchmark. We should be rating him as a success. No way. No way at all. And, and it, you know, if they lapse back again, as you feel it will because of everything we've discussed in the last sort of half an hour or so, and off the back of a mid-table finish last season, we're in the mid-table territory again. Is that not definitive proof that this head coach, with this group of players, with his outlook, aren't going to get Norwich to where, whether you whether whether you have a sense of entitlement or not? But where I think justifiably in the championship over the last few years, Norwich have proven that they can get to, which is right at the top end of this, you know, division. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about stats, but then the stats from last night again, uh, possession-wise, shots crea uh, creation versus how many they conceded over the entirety of a forty-six-game championship season. I, I don't think that gets them into the top six. It probably doesn't. Maybe even get them into the top ten. So, if we want to look at it in the round, I, I don't think that would justify this approach. I think. I just come at it from a fan's point of view. If you pay money to go and watch your team play, yes, you want them to win games, but do you want them to win in that manner, week in, week out? I'd be surprised, because where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in clinging on for dear life and Angus Gunn going full Gordon Banks and uh, <laughs> you know John Rowe doing what he's doing? And you know I might be wrong, but if it, if it felt like it was sustainable, then... Fair enough, you would say he's getting the absolute maximum out of the 
constituent parts. But can any of us sit here or any fans watching this or listening to this say he is getting the absolute maximum out of these individual parts? We just discussed about John Rowe, there's more to come. Gabby Zara, you cannot tell me he is playing at his optimum level at the minute. Nunes, where's the Nunes who was at Hull at the start of his Norwich career last season compared to what we saw last night? We could go on and on. So I don't think he is extracting the maximum from this resource by going down a path where it's about being resolute and and ultimately trying to prevent teams from scoring and setting up in a manner which is about nullifying rather than front foot, we'll impose our will on you and we're going to prove we're better than you, both as a coach and in terms of a coaching philosophy against my opponent, but also as individual players. For me, that's that's what we were brought up on with Farker, that's what the Alex Neal era that, that AH touched on there was about. It wasn't, you know, we'll go and cling on for dear life and hopefully we have individual quality that can tip the balance. It was, no, we think we're better than you, we're going to back ourselves and we're going to prove we're better than you. And it might not always come off, but I think that's a better watch if you're a Norwich fan than the fare that they're being served up at the minute. Yeah, and I think it all comes back to the point, as you said, and Ben Lee's touched upon this, I think in the last five games, so West Brom, Millwall, Southampton, Bristol Rovers, parts of that game, and last night, so yeah, last five, I think they've probably been outcoached in all of them by by opponents. We can debate results, but again, it comes back to, to, to sustainability. And actually, if you... Uh, have to put in apps and this is what it feels like Norwich having to put in absolutely everything and everyone has to be at their optimum best to, to win a game of football at the moment and that's that's such a tough ask over a, a long period of time um, which I guess is, is maybe his, his answer as to why they, they are playing in the way that they are at the moment but again it all comes back to this this uh, this itch that Norwich fans can't quite scratch at this moment in time uh, Sam let's start with you bring the heat who brought the heat for you you've had, you've had enough time to think about this looking at me in a confused uh, manner who brought the heat for, for Norwich City this weekend? Um, you knew this. I'm, I'm taking the easy answer. Cause what, by committing an assault? Yeah, well, pretty much. <laughs> quite, quite a lot of heat, to be fair, yeah. for a, a public, public place and a, a football pitch. So, um, yeah, I think, actually, Louis Coyle came out and did some, some media in the press room after the game, and you could see this massive egg on his head. So, uh, yeah, that told you everything you needed to know uh, regarding heat. So, yeah, that is... To be fair, I would say so far I've not always taken the obvious answer. I've come up with different ones, but um, yeah, I'm going to take it today and say you knew this. I'm going to go for Onel Hernandez. It was uh, He's had a lot of stick this season and he's had his critics, but um, maybe the best 10 seconds ever of a footballer, I would say, from when I came on. Uh, I'm exaggerating, of course, but it was a wonderful cross and uh, a brilliant improvised finish from, from Fashnacht, uh, actually. So I'm going to go Onel Hernandez, Paddy. Well, I'm going to um, completely turn on its head and say nobody brought the heat because I was frozen at the back of that stand. <laughs> it was cold. I had two pairs of socks on and oh, I still couldn't feel my toes. It was terrible. Do you know what, you know what I, sh- I should have had in my bag? And it's rel- very relevant to this pod. If I'd had my Coleman's yellow and red scarf, I'd have been absolutely toasty. What about your heat? Can you better, better bring the heat than actually dropping in the yeah, Coleman's line? Like I don't think so. No, it's at home, sadly, but it won't be at home for the uh, Bristol Rovers trek, I can assure you of that, which might or might That's not go off. Do you want to do your weather? weather yeah, look, I'm no, I'm no uh, what are they, meteorologist? Meteorologist, yeah. Uh, but you look at the weather forecast, I think in Bristol it's going to be minus three, basically for the next three nights. I, I don't know, look, maybe the Memorial Stadium has undersaw heating, but that doesn't necessarily feel to me like a game that is going to go on. Um, in which case, because of how they've now scheduled the Leeds game, it makes it very difficult to fit that game in. So my outside feeling is that we might be heading to Bristol Rovers on fourth round weekend and that uh, the winner of that tie will get to go to Anfield in a midweek somewhere, probably in early February. Adam, who bought the heat for you finally? Uh, probably agree with Paddy's assessment, no one on the pitch. I'm going to go with Hull City's catering department. Um, I, 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 to be honest, I think, <clears throat> I think on a... I could go for someone like Angus Gunn, which is the obvious answer for kind of keeping Norwich in the game. I think he it was a great celebration when the first goal went in. I, I sort of caught a, a vlog this morning from a whole city end and he's kind of jumping in front of the away end and the whole fans weren't best pleased, I think, because obviously it was after the, the Conley incident. So um, I think Angus Gunn was a bit of a villain. But yeah, I think from a, a media scran rating, I think uh, Hull take the, the top of the leaderboard at the moment. I mean... I'm struggling to think of many this season that can compete. Uh, 
So it was a, a few good choices. I think you two boys delved in the old pie and chips route. Me and Sam went for the slightly more exotic route of uh, chicken tandoori box, which <laughs> I have to say that was uh, quite something. And uh, full time, you know, you're thinking David Wagner's about to walk in the room and there they are serving toffee apple crumble at the back of the press room, which was... Uh, I've never seen Paddy ask fewer questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Paddy might have delved in the food while David Wagner was sat there talking, but uh, he did. He did. Say, David, can you hang fire so we can finish off this uh, toffee apple? So, yeah, I'm going to go with, with Hull City's catering department. Uh, big up to them. Uh, and I guess the, the final uh, anecdote to share is we... So we uh, we had the pleasure of, of, uh, of, of staying overnight uh, in and around Scunthorpe. I'll, I'll keep it fairly vague. Um, so lots of, clearly very glamorous. So we, we walk up to the reception, we, uh, we check in, and as the nature of these things are, you have to head through doors uh, to, to get to your room. And one, it was quite a walk to our room. Um, I know, poor, poor us. Um, but we walk through the door, and who has stood there in a full Notts County tracksuit, but a former Ipswich Town striker, David McGoldrick, who's, uh, who's on the phone. I, I resisted uh, mentioning the, what was it, 2015 playoffs. Um, but more to the point, Paddy, this morning we were sharing breakfast with quite a few of them. Yes. I'm no sports nutritionist, but the, the amount of them that were the amount of them that were putting cocoa pops in there in bowls and walking. I guess I don't know. Maybe it's good for sugar. It was beans and sausage and bacon and eggs and everything. They were really enjoying themselves. To be fair, so we're what, about an hour from kick off. Where are they? Grimsby. Grimsby today. Check yeah. out how they get on at Grimsby. Yeah, is all I'm going to say. It was a good breakfast, wasn't it? That they were they were enjoying. I'm sure Dave we get Dave Carolan on here. He'd yeah. tell us all about the nutritional values of cocoa pops. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Food of champions. They're doing quite well, aren't they? I know yeah, they've changed their manager. Their manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, shame, shame it wasn't the Norwich boys we bumped into. But I think they came straight back. So, so there have you go. You, have you ever shared a hotel with another football team before? I, I remember a rugby team. I think we had once. Or no, it was an Olympic team. I think or a Commonwealth team in Southampton, maybe. Yeah, they were definitely competing in something, but I, th- no. I think they were like hockey or something. But. No, I'm sure there was. There was a base we used to use in Cardiff, uh, Cardiff Games, which had Ulster Rugby were there one year. I think you know, but Chris Lakey, our esteemed chief, he tells the story. They, they, him and Dave Coffley back in the day walked into the Norwich team hotel. I think it was the Roder era, and uh, <laughs> they couldn't be less welcome should, in terms of the reaction they got That's from what the players. Would happen with us, wouldn't it, if we walked in? No, we'd be welcomed in with open arms, particularly Sam with his player rating. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I think it was kind of the, the, the old tumbleweed went through the, the way he tells the story. So, uh, yeah, no, we've yet to. The closest we got recently was we stayed at um, what was that Northern Base in Darlington last season. It was the Middlesbrough away game yeah, on the Friday. Oh, yes. And they'd yes. stayed there. The Norwich team had stayed there on the Thursday night. Yeah. And we stayed on the Friday night after the game. So thank you, Ornell, and your blog for telling us that. But yeah. uh, I don't think it'll beat the time where we saw Andy Carroll in that uh, yeah. holiday in, in, in Jesmond's. That was good. He was on the Newcastle Ale, actually. So very on brand. It was. It was. Look, that's a lovely. If you're ever in the Jesmond area of Newcastle, yeah. that holiday in is the place to go. Yeah. Um, Andy Carroll. That, you've got a segment inserted here, Connor. Famous players we've, we've happened upon. In hotels. Well, we did see Austin Hay- Not a football player. We That's saw Austin Haley. We've got to mention this. Yeah. yeah. Call services. Yeah. About two months ago. He was very happy. Queuing at a certain uh, coffee shop. And the guy. Oh, what was it? Paul Chuckle. Yeah, Paul, Paul Chuckle. Yeah, we saw him. No, saw him as well. Yeah. Where was that? What services was that? Uh, Birchanger, I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat, to be fair, we did have a question on uh, X, which I was going to ask from uh, from someone because you put a tweet out, and they, they were asking us for a best service station. So just to close the pod, Sam, if you had to pick one, oh, I was going to say rugby, but it was between rugby and Reading. I think Reading is pretty good as well. To be fair, might have a is that one with Pizza Express? I might be getting it confused with Birchanger. To be fair, they all roll into one for me. To uh, yeah, same. But I think Reading. I'm pretty sure Reading is a good one. Yeah, there's a bet actually. Nor- is it Norton Gaines? Yeah, that is that the one? Mr. Leon. Mr. Leon. Yeah. Yeah. Norton uh, Sir the M6 Toll. Yeah. Right. Basically, because of one establishment that sells rice boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Which if they want to sponsor us, uh, yeah. no offence, yeah. Coleman's, but you know if, if it's Leon on the uh, on the hook, then uh, we'll we'll do whatever is required to get Leon boxes delivered to the house. Yeah, Adam, uh, 
fine. Well, I don't, you, you agree with Norton Keynes first? Uh, yeah, there's also one, I can't remember the name of it. It's on kind of the corner of the M25. I don't think we've ever stopped there. I'd done it once going to Wickham with uh, a friend of mine. I was in the Wigan away end because he's a Wigan fan. Really bizarre story. But uh, we stopped there. And I'll tell you what, it's got every single like possible food outlet under the sun, including Leon. So I think for those purposes, that is definitely up there. Um, can't remember what it's called. Someone might know. Uh, but just just on the theme of hotels and ex-footballers. Uh, funny enough, uh, a former employer of mine was a hotel quite close to here, uh, quite well known, uh, where a lot of football teams stay. I've dealt with I've dealt I've dealt with a lot of I dealt with a lot of like opposition teams coming down to Carrow Road. Uh, I think my favourite one was probably when uh, Harry Redknapp was manager of Birmingham um, and he came in one morning into the breakfast room and as you can imagine um, he's not the smallest of blokes so I think he was quite quite in admiring the buffet options um, there's a few other stories of managers with red wine I think Dean Smith actually when he was manager of Villa he had a, a cheeky red wine in, in the bar one night so uh, many, a, many a good story uh, based on that but less so maybe when I've been staying in hotels and directly uh, met them that way more, more due to a an employment status at that point. I thought that was going to be the Mo Light and the Green Tea story. But we'll, 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 save, we'll save that. We'll save that for uh, another day. Big week for Norwich City. They are scheduled, and I say scheduled at this moment in time, to play Bristol Rovers in a cup replay on Wednesday. Uh, we were all so enthusiastic about that. And obviously, uh, if that wasn't good enough, the winner then gets to go to Anfield and play Liverpool. What a tie. What a tie. Um, Obviously, West Brom at Carrow Road next Saturday. We'll record our, our next podcast on Sunday. And then, after that, a trip to Leeds the Wednesday after um, before whatever happens on, on, on that weekend. But it could potentially be a trip to Bristol, could potentially be a trip to Liverpool. It could be nothing. We will see how it all unfolds. Pinkin.com, of course, the best place to go as it all unfolds. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on various podcasts and whatnot as well. Thank you to Redwell for being kind enough to letting us use their facilities to... Um, to, to, to film in and recording and um, we will see you all again very soon thanks for watching straight listening <laughs>